This morning is a fun morning for me uh, because I got a call at 10 p.m. last night. Malcolm was supposed to preach this morning. <laughs> and he's like, so I'm stuck in Canada. <laughs> Speaking of our global church. Uh, and so I said, are you sure? <laughs> Can't figure something else out? Uh, so we have a, a fun, fun morning. And I just thought, okay, what's the Lord going to do? Uh, and that, that's what we want to do is say, what, what's the Lord going to say? What, what, we want to hear from the Lord. We want to draw, like, what's God teaching us? And that's where we're at. The, uh, the thing that brought me to where we want to be this, this morning was what, probably one of my favorite books in the Bible. Um, I know I say that a lot about a lot of books, but um, one of my favorite Old Testament books is the, the story of Jonah. So if you want to open up to the, to the book of Jonah, and it's, it's probably one of my favorite ones because it, it just captures and grips my emotions and my, my, my you, you, just, you can visualize it, you, you don't really need illustrations, um, but the book of Jonah is just tucked away in there in, in the Old Testament after Obadiah, before Micah. It's only four chapters long, so we're only going to read chapter one today, but if you wanted to read the whole book this afternoon, you could. Uh, it's that short. Uh, but why Jonah? Besides Malcolm forcing me to do this. Um, I think because it's a familiar story, there are kids in here as well, uh, and you know the story at least. Everyone kind of has heard the story. You've heard the Sunday school version of the story. Um, but if you're a skeptic to Christianity, Jonah's a tough one. Because it just sounds so absurd, right? I mean, it sounds preposterous. The story about a man being eaten by a fish and, being, and, and staying alive for three days sounds very odd. Um, this may be the hiccup for you, like thinking, how is this possible for you to actually stay a, a smart Christian and believe stories like this? You know, how can a man survive in a whale for three nights? Um, was there air? What did he eat? What did he drink? Was there any other people inside the whale at the time? <laughs> what did they talk about? I mean, these are questions you might want to be asking about this text here. And, there, and there's actually some great resources online that you can look at that will give you um, the, the, the way it could have happened, the way you can survive to, in, being, you know, to living inside of a whale for three days. But let's be honest, this is just a miracle. Uh, and if we try to rationalize this away, we, we, I think we miss what's going on here. Because that's the definition of a miracle is, is it's something that doesn't happen every day. I mean, that's what miracles are. They're, they're, by definition, they are above normal, right? Beyond the explanation, beyond replication. And so I get frustrated sometimes when people try to uh, rationalize, normalize miracles in the Bible. And so you get like the, the, uh, the, the plagues in Egypt and try to come out, like, hey, maybe this is how this happened. If, it, if the weather temperature and air pressure were at this certain way. Let's not get into that. I think we're starting to doubt what God can do. Because if, if we have a God who, who can have the virgin birth and the incarnation, and, and he can say, let there be light. I mean, these are, these are big ifs. But if we have a God, if there is a God, then he could do these sort of things, right? I know that's a big if. But if, if, if there is a God, he could make these claims and he could do these things. Because he's God. He can make these things happen. And so let's not try to rationalize this. Uh, but here's what the beautiful thing about the story of Jonah is. The story of Jonah is not even about Jonah. <laughs> it's one of my favorite stories of all times. Not because it's so fascinating to see a whale swallow someone. The whale isn't even the main character of the story, right? It's not called whale. It's 
called Jonah. But what fascinates me, fascinates me is that even the main character is not, the, is not like the hero of the story. He's actually the villain. Like It could be titled The Joker, right? <laughs> it, this whole story is so backwards and so unexpected because it's not about a whale. It's not about the sea. It's not about staying alive for three days inside of that. It's a story about God's unrelenting, incessant, and relentless grace for his people. So let's stand for God's word. We're going to stand, and Paniota is going to come up and read Jonah 1, 1 through 3. God's word to, to people, just saying, here's what it is. Uh, it, it would be like the Friday fire uh, that someone might, might have. <laughs> God tells them, here's what it is. Here's who I am. And he was speaking his word to, to a nation and to a people. And so God says, get up, Noah, Jonah, and go to Nineveh. And I'm not sure how much you remember from your world history classes, but, but Nineveh is the, the, the capital of the city of the great Assyrian Empire. Okay? And so the Assyrian Empire was this superpower that was very well known for how cutthroat and dangerous it was. I mean, th- this, is the, this is the superpower that put heads on spikes as you entered into the city. And this was a, this was a huge, huge, fierce, fierce uh, military group. They had, they had, they had the, the spikes. They, had, they cut off people's limbs if you crossed them. They were the ones who, the first to, to put iron on their chariots and on, on their shields. And so God says to Jonah, go to that great city and preach against it. Go, go to that city, which has a heaping mounds of evil, and tell them to stop it. Not just some of it, but all of it. For their evil is a heaping mounds and mounds and has risen all the way up to heaven. And Nineveh is this huge city. I mean, and later in the book, it, it shows that it takes Jonah three days to walk to the center of it. And so you, you, you can imagine Jonah's predicament. I mean, God is calling him out to do something that's very, very dangerous and very uncomfortable. Um, something, and he's calling him to something that he can't control. Something that may harm him or leave him dead. So 
God is calling him to something uncomfortable. And that is our first point here is that, that God does call us to uncomfortability a lot, right? He pushes you into the uncomfortable. To love unlovable people. <laughs> to befriend the neighbor who you just don't understand. To reach across the aisle. To seek after those whom you think are just too far gone. And what's Jonah do with this decision? When faced with the decision to love the Ninevites, he, <laughs> he runs. <laughs> he goes the other way. I mean, the, the, the text says that he literally goes the opposite direction of, of where. He's actually fleeing God's face. He's fleeing the face of God, not just what God's called him to. And so Jonah can't stand to be looked at right now. And it's almost comical. I mean, he's like, go over there. And he goes, over here. Like, it, it feels like a, a, a cartoon of just saying, going the opposite way. He, he becomes Forrest Gump, and he just goes for a run. And so his answer is Tarshish. But he's not just running from Nineveh. Remember, he's running from God. He's running from the face of God, which seems ludicrous. Where can you go from the face of God? But that's, that's one of our most commonly accepted responses in, in any type of conflict we have there. It's fight or flight, right? And most of us, depending on your personality or Enneagram type, I don't know what, where that lies, but it's your, for Jonah here, it's flight. And, and another way that we, we title this is escapism. Jonah, Jonah has a problem of escapism. And so the pain of staying is too great. And so instead of fighting the problem, instead of facing it, we medicate it. We drug it. We escape it. And you and I run from God every single day. And we don't even have to leave the room. How so? Some of us are, are facing some pain, some big decision, some looming, lurking weightiness. And instead of stopping and tackling this issue head on, we escape into a host of different things. The TV screen. We turn on, we tune in, and we just drop out. <laughs> right? We turn on, tune in, we drop out. Yes. I would love to watch The Office for a seventh season. Thank you, Netflix, for suggesting that. Why? 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 Maybe we, we turn into the TV. Maybe we escape into busyness. Some of us are workaholics. I'm way too busy to think about the emptiness. And so I, instead of slowing down and seeing how, how, how hard life is, I just, I'll schedule another thing for the week. I'll sign my kids up for something else to fill up more time and to have all these different escapes. Um, my, my wife, uh, Kristen, she's an artist, and she painted this uh, quote that we, we got to uh, embrace while we were doing foster care training. And it's a, by a woman named Dr. Karen Purvis. Uh, she's a, she was a professor up at TCU. She recently passed away. Um, but she does the Empowered to Connect things. Um, and one of her favorite quotes, or our favorite quotes from her, is that people are more important than rectangles. It sounds simple. <laughs> People are more important than rectangles. But if you look at most of the rectangles in your life are things that dis distract you from people. And so, the TV screen, there you go. My phone. Endless apps that I can get lost into. The endless songs and photos and the things to like and not like. And, oh, should I have liked that? I don't know what that means about me by liking that. Um, and, you know, things, all these different things. And... There's so many things that we can, we can get lost into in the rectangles. But some of us are a little too sophisticated for that. And we get lost into 
the book rectangle. <laughs> We're like, oh, uh, you guys, just wasting your time on TV, wasting your time on the phone. Look at my library. <laughs> Everything's a rectangle. That seems to distract us from people. And so we, we, rectangles, though, are more important. Wait, you said people are more important than rectangles. But I feel like we just all live in escapism with Jonah. We, we live in it that everything's a distraction, everything is just a space filler, a time killer, and nothing has meaning. And so the second point here is that God calls you to escape your escapism. What's your escape? Where do you run from God to? You know what that is? Is it a rectangle? But here's the question that's scarier than that one. What are you running from, though? Why aren't you facing it? What, what is the thing you're running from to? What has God called you to that you don't think you can face? Well, let's look at how that works out for Jonah. We only read the first three verses, but let me look at verse four here. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. And there's just a beautiful picture here that God is this warrior who's like hurling a, a spear of wind at this ship. That threatens to break it up. And remember the ancients saw the sea as this, this you know, birthplace of monsters and this depiction of, of all that is fearful and unstable. And now these men are caught in a tsunami with waves crashing down so hard and wind pulling the sails this way and that. So hard that the, the ship was threatening to break. The men were so scared that they start hurling the cargo over the ship to lighten the load. But did you catch it? That even these pagan men... These non-believers, when faced with death, are crying out to God. And where's Jonah? If you know the story. Verse 5. He was seen laying down and was fast asleep. <laughs> what? Of, of, of all the men on the ship, why is he now under the, under the ship sleeping? He's the person who should have been awake. But nevertheless, he was not only asleep, but he was fast asleep is the word there. With the dashing of the waves, the howling of the winds... The straining of the timbers and the shouting of all these mariners, none of that aroused him because he was fast asleep. And, and this was the phrase, fast asleep, is the same Hebrew when Adam was fast asleep and God performed surgery to cut out the rib from him to make Eve. So he was in that surgical sleep that nothing would have woken him up. And he's out, he's comatose, and we're not sure why or how that happens. Uh, maybe it's a sailor ship and Jonah got into some of that liquid cargo. Um, maybe it's the effects of his sin and he's just in complete denial of the reality. And I love the ship captain's response here. It says, what do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. I mean, are you crazy? Get up, wake up, not just from this physical sleep, but from whatever you're going through. Wake up, be present. Maybe this God that you serve is actually going to save us. And you get the picture that no matter the storm that's coming to us, God is in complete control. That his plans cannot be corrupted or messed up. Everyone in this story is obeying God except Jonah. The man called by God. So even the pagans want to obey God more so than Jonah. Even the sailors are wise enough to see this. Even the ship is obeying God. The storm's obeying God. The whale will obey God. The sea is listening to God, but not Jonah. 
And we see this truth all throughout Scripture, that God has a plan, and even our sinful, rebellious hearts can't muck it up. In Genesis, there's a story. A little boy named Joseph. You know the story if you've read this? There's a story of the youngest son, Joseph, who was uh, the, the, the pipsqueak of the group, right? If you're the youngest, you know, you know the feeling. The oldest, you want to look down on that youngest, right? All right, well, the youngest started having all these dreams and started telling his brothers about all of his dreams. And how He had these dreams how God was telling him, you're going to be the greatest of them all. And all your brothers are going to bow down to you. And in fact, I'm going to have your dad favor you. And he's going to give you this psychedelic jacket to show the brothers how you are the favored son amongst them all. So, no surprise, his brothers pick him up and, and you know, take him off <laughs> and sell him to slavery. But while he was a slave in Egypt, he rose to become a chief administrator in the land. And he prepared the kingdom for the coming famine that was about to happen. And then his brothers came to, the, came to the king during this famine to ask for some help, for some food. And they were afraid once they saw their brother sitting next to the king. Oh, he may just smite us right here for what we've done to him. But Joseph said to them, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. There's so much theology packed into that. That you, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. And so there, there's, there's this understanding that there is just no waste in God's economy. That even when we do bad things, even when we do have made terrible mistakes, God is able to redeem those things for his ends. I mean, there's freedom in them. They, they start casting lots with these sticks and markings with symbols, uh, basically all right, let's see what happens. And, and they see that Jonah's the reason for, for all the, the, the problems that are going on here. And he tells them, yeah, okay, it was me. It's, it's my fault. And so it took more than just running away. It, it took more than God shouting at Jonah. It took more than men yelling at him, wake up, O sleeper. It finally hit him when his own words confessed who he truly was, which was a Hebrew, reminding him who he truly is, one who fears God, the Lord in all caps, which means Yahweh. From which the storm is coming, from the earth and the sea of which we're being tossed around like ragdolls. And so finally, finally Jonah is face to face with his problems. Finally he sees he can't outrun God. Finally the man who is asked to be a preacher of repentance is actually repenting. And so I ask you, have you been putting this off as long as Jonah has? Has God been calling you and you just keep running and running and running and running? And he's saying, come, come home, come back. This passage is telling us there's hope for us too. Verse 12 says, he said to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that the great tempest has come upon you. And so Jonah's last act in his mind is one of sacrifice. Jonah is giving his life for these Gentile saviors. He he runs away from the Assyrians and Gentiles and ends up with Gentiles. Isn't that awkward? He runs away from the Assyrians and Gentiles and ends up with Gentiles. He ends up using his life to save the very people he was trying to run away from. 
And so God will not allow Jonah's purpose to be thwarted by the hands of Jonah's failures. God is saving Jonah from himself. God doesn't allow you to muck up his plan. What a comforting thing that is. I mean, I I need to hear that this morning. That I can't muck up what he's going to do here. I need to hear that. God will save me from myself. And that's the third point, that God saves me from me. My usefulness to God isn't at the mercy of me. My sin doesn't thwart his plans. My my escapes can't even escape what he's going to do because he's going to work it all out to his glory. And what a load off that can be. God's awesome. He's going to get the glory. So I don't know about you, but if you've ever stressed about failing so miserably and wondering, can God ever reach me? Can God ever redeem me? Can I ever be useful to him again? This is a wonderfully peaceful passage. That God will save you from you. And so if you, if you worry if God has given you the cold shoulder because of your past or worried if your friend's salvation is in your hands, hear what God is doing with Jonah. He is sovereign, not Jonah. Everyone listens to God ultimately, even Jonah. Now, just a, a little asterisk, a little primer, because some people might be wondering, but does this mean... We shall just ignore God and go on sinning like Jonah and just say, I'm going my own way. I'm going to Tarshish. This isn't a template for us to follow, to go against God's clear will, because we find out it was incredibly painful and destructive for Jonah. He got swallowed by a whale. So that may happen to you. You may be in that whale right now. And so we're not encouraging that. But we see that the sea took Jonah, and when the sea swallowed him, there was instant peace. Verse 15 says, So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Verse 16, Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And so they saw the power of Yahweh, and then they just saw the power of Yahweh throw this man into the water, and just instant calmness, instant peace, tranquility. And it it made the men fear Whoa, what kind of God does that? That the sea and the waves listen to him. Who is this man? Who is this God? And they don't just say any old God anymore. They switch their verbiage to now they use the word, who is this man? They begin to fear the Lord Yahweh in all caps. The men are saying now, how good is this God, this Yahweh? He even uses the rebellion of his prophets to be on the lookout for some sailors. And so Jonah isn't thrown into the sea to appease the wrath of God. He's not being thrown in there as God saying, well, now I'm going to get you. Something entirely different happens. Instead of a raging, wrathful God that we would all expect from such disobedience, we see God rescue Jonah again, saving him from himself. And so the fish, no, it doesn't actually say whale anywhere, but a giant fish, we're not sure what kind. But this fish is a rescue. It's a safety It's a harbor for Jonah. And this is just phenomenal. The man who is completely disobedient to God, the one who deserves a good smacking, is being sought after and loved through his sin. He doesn't deserve it. It's not fair. And this is the predicament of this book. That those who don't deserve grace get it. 
God sends Jonah to the people of Nineveh, and Jonah runs the other way because they don't deserve it. And we find out Jonah doesn't deserve it. And this reminds me of that famous uh, part of the, the Lord of the Rings trilogy. I've been reading the um, Fellowship of the Ring with my boys. And there's this part where uh, Gandalf is speaking to Frodo. And Frodo is, is talking about this creature named Gollum, if you remember this. So Gollum used to be a man, but he was so corrupted by the power and the lust for the, for the magic ring. And it literally transformed him into this, this monster to do terrible things. And, and Frodo is wanting to just end Gollum, to just kill him. And Gandalf says, or Frodo says, do you mean to say that you and the elves have let him live on after all these horrible deeds? He deserves death. And Gandalf says, deserves it? I dare say he does. Many that live deserve death, and some that die deserve life. Can you give it to them? Then do not be too eager to deal out death and judgment, for even the very wise cannot see all ends. I have not much hope that Gollum can be cured before he dies, but there is a chance of it. My heart tells me that he has some part to play for good or ill before the end. And so you got Jonah, you got Nineveh, you got Gollum, you got you, you got me. God comes for all of these people and he offers rescue for you. He rescued Jonah with a storm and with a whale, but he does even more so for you and for me. Because Matthew 12, 40 says, For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. I love that. Something greater than Jonah is here. And so what Jesus is saying is this. Just as Jonah was down and for three days, so will I. Jonah didn't get what he deserved. He died, but he deserved life. So too, Jesus doesn't get what he deserves. He dies, but deserves life. I think I said that backwards. Jonah lived, but deserved death. That would have been much better. But this passage is so backwards, right? That that you don't get what you expect here. And so too, we don't get what we expect. Because the wrath fully comes out on the one man, Jesus Christ. He went down for three days and he wasn't sheltered like Jonah with a fish. But he was beaten and he was bruised and he was crushed and he was stabbed. And then the earth swallowed him whole. And so the wrath of God is now being poured out on his son for you and me. Who doesn't deserve it. And so we get something we don't deserve. That's called grace. So today, do you want to escape your escapism? Are you tired of running and running and running from your problems? Running from the face of the Lord into sin. I want you to hear the voice of these sailors. Wake up, O sleeper. Who's calling you to wake up to us that the escape you're seeking isn't good enough. The storm will continue to rage on until you run into the arms of your Savior. And now you can face whatever it is together with him head on knowing he's not out to beat you into the ground. But he's here to rescue a Ninevite and a Jonah like you and like me. And then he can even use a Jonah and a Ninevite like you to advance his kingdom. For some reason he then calls you. To join him and then sending that outwards. And so who are the people that you see as the Ninevites? Who are the, those, uh, those people? 
that God is pushing you to, to love and to, and to reach out to. May God break your heart and move you into a relationship with him this week by seeing the unrelenting, incessant, never giving up, always and forever love of Jesus Christ. Let's pray.